Hey y'all, welcome to The Hue. Since I can remember, I've loved stories, and even more than a good book, I love a good conversation. So having worked with creatives for the past 14 years, I found myself often in inspired conversation with my clients and vendor partners and even coworkers. Hue represents the true color, and we're here to illuminate the true stories of the inspiring folk we encounter along the way. I'm your host, Jessica, and today's guest is Millie Suleiman of Kufri Textiles. We had a great conversation on how perfection is overrated. Millie started Kufri Textiles because she wanted to share hand-woven textiles from India. We talk a little bit about how she found herself in India, where she where she was born, where she came from, and about that whole process of you know getting to the place where she was doing what she'd always wanted to do. So for Millie, hand-woven textiles represent this philosophy that she holds dear to her heart of wabi-sabi. It's beauty and imperfection. And this conversation reminds me that we're always sort of like seeking to put things together and make them just right. And as creatives, we want them to be beautiful and even maybe perfect, dare we say. But when we're striving for perfection, we often lose sight of the beauty we find along the way. And, and sometimes it's the imperfect that's the most beautiful. Millie does such a great job reminding us with her textiles and with her spirit and energy that it's just really in those imperfect spaces that, that we really find our true essence. Welcome, okay. Millie, to The Hue. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. You're my first guest. Can't believe it. <laughs> so we are going to speak with Millie today, Millie Suleiman from Kufri, and she recently had an article published in Traditional Home, and kind of the theme of that article was perfection is overrated, and this really struck a chord with us, and I was, Emily's my partner in crime in this, and my director, and she's here with me today, and, hey. and we were like, that's just really perfect and perfectly imperfect, if you will. And we want to talk about that. But before we get started, we want to hear about you, Millie. So before I interview anyone or talk to anyone, I like to do a little reading. Yeah. And I think I said this previously, but what stood out to me the most was the fact that you left home at 18. You're born in Mumbai. You grew up in Oman. Yes. And you're 18 years old and you look out your window and you're like, I'm going to leave home. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. Let's start there. So um, I grew up in Oman. So when I was a year old, my parents left India. And uh, I grew up in Oman, which is uh, about three hours from Dubai. So it's in the Middle East. And looking out my window, it was really sand dunes and other... (laughs) No, I mean, seriously, there were sand dunes, (laughs) uh, mountains in the distance. But we also had the ocean because we moved, you know, different houses over 20, 30 years. Um, one of the houses had, like, the ocean. So it's this amazing small place where you have the mountains, the sand dunes, and the ocean, and they all meet, and it's beautiful. Um, but at that time, you know, um, I came to the States in 1998, and I started plotting my escape in the 10th grade because I just felt like there was an opportunity for me as an Indian. You know, we were still expatriates. Um, And nationalization had happened, which means that all the big, important jobs were going to Omanis, which were the local people. So I just felt like I needed to get out. And, you know, I started applying to all these different universities. And my parents had a really hard time. Like, my father did not want to let me go. Like, yeah. there was a showdown. Like, 
<laughs> this dramatic showdown. Of course. And, um, you know, because, I mean, I was this young Muslim girl and, you know, just go on my own to the U.S. And it's all because of Beverly Hills 90210 because I used to watch that. <laughs> and I was like, I want to go there. <laughs> Who was your favorite character? I have to say Shannon Dorothy. Yeah. yeah. She's strong. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so at 18, it's so weird. I landed up at Texas Christian University in Fort Worth. I originally wanted to go to Parsons School in New York okay. and do fashion design. And my uh, parents had actually taken a trip to the U.S. before that and had visited the school. And they said there's absolutely no way. It's in the middle of the city. They just could not picture their young, naive daughter doing anything like catching a bus or a subway. So <laughs> so anyway, I landed up at Texas Christian University. It was a small private school, and I started off as a journalism major. We have that in common. Yes, yes. I think that's why we love stories and people yeah. and, like, backgrounds, things like that. Um, we're curious. And I, I did switch majors, but, you know, that was, uh, that was my start. That's... Texas Christian University in Fort Worth. So your family unit, though, that's for everyone, you know, for most people, everything. It's the place where you're grounded and the place where you come from mm -hmm. and, and the place where you get courage and receive courage. So yeah. if your parents are saying, whoa, no, and your heart is saying yes, where yes. do you find that courage to, to leave? So it definitely came from my parents, but even though they were very hesitant and my father was against me going, my mother was more lenient. Um, you know, as children, you kind of pick up on certain things and you pick up on values and you pick up on strength and, mm -hmm. you know, all these different things that you don't recognize. But as you move somewhere and get older, it's built into my DNA because mm -hmm. they emigrated. Absolutely. You know. Such a good point. So it's like even though they had this fear they had the same courage you did to do what they exactly. did. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I think it's just built into me. Yes. And if I encounter a hurdle, like, I feel like the burden is on me. You know, like, one thing that happened a lot, even after TCU, I mean, even today, like, I've been in the U.S. 20 years. And, um, you know, the first thing we, since race is such a big thing now, yes. like, it's come back in the news. Yeah. You know, I have to say that, because, you know, the first thing you see in someone that's so distinguishable mm -hmm. is the color of their skin. Yeah. Like, it's just a feature that's yeah. the first thing you look at. Yeah. So I have always felt that there is a hesitation when people who don't know me meet me. But it's kind of the burden is on me to prove to them through my intellect and character and the moment I start speaking that I'm equal. And that's the only way to get colorblind is when you win someone over through your intellect and character. So I feel like all that's that... That's really powerful, though, what you just it? said. Yeah. Yeah, because I feel like, you know... That you feel like the burden is on you, yes, though. Yes, absolutely. It's interesting. The burden is on me, you know, as a minority. I don't expect free things. I don't... Even if I... Um, had no money, which is another backstory, but I had to rebuild my life <laughs> of course. twice, you know, well, build it twice in this country, and the second time I had nothing. Um, 
so yeah, definitely the burden is on me. But I think all those things come from your family. Agreed. Yeah. You know, and but we don't necessarily want, and I think this is an interesting point. Or do we want? Do we want color blindness because it is the color that shapes our culture and the beauty that's around us? So yeah. we want you want people to treat you to bring to have you at the table equally, but at the same time, yes. Well, I mean, your 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 color and your culture just has enriched sure, all of us. Sure, I mean that you know diversity is great, yeah. right? Like. You have people from different countries, different languages, you know, different colors. That's great. But I really feel to be an equal at the table, you have to first be equal in the other other respects. Yeah. And then the color disappears. Mm-hmm. You know, like I have, I went to school with Somalians and Indians and Sri Lankans and British people and Filipinos. But at that age, color didn't mean anything to me because we all played with each other as kids, right? And we all went to the same classes. So it's the same thing as adults. You know, we all have this playground as adults and we have to have conversations and do business with each other Mm -hmm. and go out on dates and, you know, have dinner with each other. But if we played like that, then the color would disappear. Just like when we were kids, like we didn't know. Perfect. But then we can access it in ways that can enrich our lives. And I mean, hey, if we all went on a trip to India, I would be your (laughs) personal guide. And, you know, y'all get to see. I want to do that. (laughs) India, like you've never seen it before. a dream of mine. Um, But yeah, of course, we have to, like, embrace those differences. And keep, the you know, those differences have to be appreciated. Mm -hmm. And... um, but you come to the you come to the conversation with conviction. It, it's how I read this, and you're like, "Here's who I am, and here's what I stand for." And exactly, like I don't expect free things, and I don't expect um, preferential treatment. Yeah. You know, I don't believe in that. Yeah. I believe that you create your opportunities, and if all these books that have been written, you know, there's no such thing as luck, and you create your own opportunities, because this country has so many programs and opportunities for minorities to step out of poverty. But we have to take that initiative. If Mm -hmm. we don't take that initiative, and if our own community considers us as disloyal because we are stepping out, then it makes no sense, right? Then I don't believe you should just keep giving someone things just because oh my god i have gotten no, so political it's good no it's fine no it's, this is what this is about it's about real conversation well, and, and i don't feel like it's political though it's just it's how i feel who like. you are and that's what yeah. we're talking about today and you're special and we want to hear about you so fast forward just a little bit mm-hmm. and on the subject of india you you finish you're in a graphic design career i think right at this point and you're like i don't yes. think i want to do this anymore and you go to india Right, basically, yes. right? You're like, I'm going to go to India because there's something there for me. Exactly. And, and we've skipped a little bit of your life, but this is an important step to Kufri, and I want you to talk about it. Yes. So I had really great business, graphic design, um, and I think I just was starting to get a little tired because it wasn't much of a challenge anymore yeah. to me. Um, I still love it, though, but I felt like I needed something a little more complex that's going to serve me in my 30s and 40s and you know and then um i came across a book john robshaw's yeah we talked about that yes john robshaw 
And I'd always loved interior design and interiors. I, you know, I was very much taken by the home space, but I didn't know any interior designers. I didn't know anything about the industry. And I came across this book and I was like, oh my God, all this is happening in India. <laughs> my home. <laughs> I was like, I need to go and see mm-hmm. what's happening. Because, you know, I grew up in the city and when we did go for summer holidays it was just back to Bombay to Bombay yeah okay um so it was in the city and all the craft-based initiatives happened more in the villages Uh or on the outskirts of the cities so um I told my mother I was like hey you meet me in India you take a flight from there I'm gonna take a flight from here and we're just gonna go explore all this and actually, I had gone to a trade show with my father before okay. that in to, Delhi. To what kind of trade show? It was like a like a home okay based home fair. trade show. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of it's the place that anthropology would go to scope out product okay. and manufacturers. Um, so I had done that with my dad, and I think the after six months, I did this trip with my mother. And I just literally Googled block printing and leather craftsmen, like just looked at all these different villages and found information. And you'd quit your job to do this or? Well, so my graphic design business was my business. Okay. okay. So, so you're um, able to make that. I was able to make the transition and, um, you know, we just went and we had so much fun. We spent a month in India in the summer, which is insane. Um, but yeah, we just, I saw leather craftsmen and weavers and block printers and just all these people doing amazing things in these villages. And I was really, really taken by handloom weaving. And that's where my love affair with weaving. What's the first village started. you went to? Do you remember? Uh, you remember was, the sound more, right? Yes. You know what? The first <laughs> village I went to was probably a block printing village. Mm-hmm. This was a while back. Um Outside of Jaipur. Okay. So that's like the center of block printing. Okay. And actually, that is where John Robshaw started. Really? His block printing was with this gentleman's <clears throat> unit. And did you, had you researched him and did you know to go there? Okay. Yeah. But you didn't end up in the block printing realm. You ended up in the hand weaving realm. Correct. A little bit. We, we did just launch a block printed collection okay. on a hand woven oh, linen. Right. Uh, but definitely our... Our niche is handloom weaving. And you knew because, I remember you told me this story. It was like you're walking into the village and it's not what you see, it's what you hear. Yes. And it's like music. Yes. So you can hear the beating of the looms. I love that. And because uh, a lot of the weavers have the loom in their homes. Sorry. Um, so you can just hear that sound because there's so many homes, you know, with, with the loom that they're working on. And it's beautiful. Like, it's just like, wow. How many days a week do they work? And what, um, is it early in the morning? or? Yeah, it's typically five to six days a week. Uh-huh. Um, it starts pretty early. It starts, no, it starts like around nine o'clock. Nice. Like, they don't really. <laughs> there's a very, tea. <laughs> yeah, there's this very lazy pace in the Good. village. No one's rushing anything. Love it. Things are just going to get done when they get done. Um, you have to really, well, I had to really 
create a relationship with the units that I work with. So they take you seriously. Mm-hmm. And you have to build that relationship. It cannot be hurried. Mm-hmm. You cannot just like slap a bunch of money down, place a huge order. Like that's the wrong way to start. Okay. And did you know that? Or you just instinctively knew that you had to? Well, instinctively, I take small chunks okay. rather than just take huge steps in okay. things like business. So, you know, there's like, okay, I'm going to test out three or four fabrics with you. I would never do like, I'm going to test out 2,000 yards with you, okay. you know? Yeah. So it's like, yeah. Okay. So you work with this village. Yes. And you, you're still with working with the same village, but you've maybe added some other partners we've, to your business. We've gotten rid of a couple and we've added a few. Okay. Yes. But you've also brought a loom to your offices in Dallas, right? Yes. So Millie has a gorgeous office or sh- studio showroom. It just opened last year, 2019. Yes. Okay. 2019 June is when we had the opening. And it's incredible. It just has such a wonderful feeling and energy when you walk in the door. I love the pink walls and the entry. They just reflect all of the textiles perfectly. And then you can see the bright white into the studio, the working space. And I encourage everyone. It's something like you're not in Dallas, really. And I hope that everyone listening will take time to make an appointment to come see you because it is trans it's transportive it's really special thank you yeah I just wanted a space that didn't feel like a big typical showroom yeah I just relate to that you know yeah (laughs) something warm and intimate I mean I feel like we're in a new age right we are we want to feel connected absolutely and we want small spaces and we I think we also are losing a a a need for the formality of exactly the traditional showroom exactly and it was just natural for me to um, move the business from the home into this space. So the studio is just attached to the showroom. The showroom's about 500, 600 square feet. Actually, yeah, about that much. And the 1,500 square feet is the studio. We do have two looms. A two, okay. Um, one is a four shaft, one is an eight shaft. That just means that they do different types of designs and okay. different complexity. So, yeah. And you can use them yourself or? You know, I, here's the crazy part. I am not a weaver. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I love the craft of handloom weaving. I champion it. I do understand. I have learned a lot. I do understand it. I have tried weaving. But um, when you run a business, you either can choose to be the artisan or you can choose yeah. to be the person who actually has the business and gets everything done so um at some point I would love to really weave as a hobby right now it's not happening okay um but I understand a lot about it and how to create designs for it and anticipate what it might look like on the loom so so I talked to in my job as a as a sales rep I talked to a lot of young designers and they're all so creative and excited about our industry and they all face different challenges be it they maybe don't feel as challenged creatively at work or maybe they want to get into a different form of design and I think it's helpful to hear about challenges and how you overcome them and so it's not always because it's not always easy and it's really those dark dark times that we probably grow the most so what have been the most challenging things you've come up against and how did you forge through them or 
move past them. Maybe you didn't forge through. Maybe you, you know, diverted. Yeah. You Can know, you describe one in particular? But there was a time, I think, um, my first showroom in New York, the very first one that took us on, you know, weirdly, I started with a hand screen printed collection in okay. my first year and then quickly got rid of that okay. and just focused on weaving. But my very first showroom in New York, there were a couple of orders that, um, and you know, I was so new to it. There were a couple of orders that we really fell back on. And the, the interior designers were divas and they threw a fit. And, you know, it wasn't unreasonably, it was like maybe a two or three week delay from when we said it would come through. Um, but the but the showroom just was not having it. Yeah. And they said, we have to let you go. And that was a huge lesson for me because I was like, okay, I have to take this seriously. Mm -hmm. And that, I'm actually so glad that happened mm -hmm. because I love the showroom that I'm with in New York right now. I anticipate being with them for a very long time. It's all for living. Um, they are perfect for Kofri. Good. But that really pushed me into a more serious mode. And you need to vet your partners better and your or uh, just my my expectations from the units okay. on their delivery. Got it. And what you know, it's a trickle-down thing, right? So if I'm late in delivering fabric, then they're late in upholstering the sofa or whatever has mm -hmm. to be done, then the other part becomes late. So it's a trickle-down thing. and um, So clearly managing the expectations. Managing and expectations. And then when things don't go as they seem, clearly remanaging the Exactly, communicating very quickly and promptly. Yes, honestly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Not be scared of bad news. Right. <laughs> that um, scared of bad news. <laughs> and, you know, I was usually, like, I'm always very upfront. But I, I knew to ask the questions to my units. How is it going? How is it going? Like, always checking up with them. Yes. So I can deliver on time. Um, and just overall, it, it, like, pushed me into the next gear. To where I was like, all right, now I have to, like, prove to them mm -hmm. You know, so it was a little bit of that fire that also pushed me so to the next level. The one of the things we were gonna we were gonna talk about traditional home, you know, they talked about perfection is overrated. And this sort of ties into this concept of I always think about my parents are entrepreneurs, my grandparents are entrepreneurs, I consider myself an entrepreneur and beyond curious, we're visionary. One of the things that I find is the hardest is taking that vision and being a, not so committed to it and able to adapt and that's where kind of that imperfection comes in so how do you how do you work with that on the day-to-day -day? you know this is where I'm headed but then this happens and evaluating what this next thing is that comes in and how to recalibrate and accept that imperfection of the plan if you will and yeah you know I think I think that's a really interesting there's a lot like, of questions in there <laughs> no it's an interesting way how you put it because you know imperfection is overrated it's funny because that theme doesn't just apply to my textiles it actually applies to my approach to life yeah. and um, you know if I stumble I just like figure it out fix it and move on mm -hmm. you know and then you have a better plan for the next time 
So it's the same thing. You come across challenges, you figure it out, fix it, move on, have a better plan for the next time. You just hit the root of perfectionism because I look at you know, perfectionism in my own life and it's this inability. It's I'm so stuck on I wanting this to be perfect that yeah. I'm stuck on it and I'm, I'm unable to move on. And so I think you just sort of hit it, the exact cure to the problem. And yes. that's why it's overrated is if you focus on it, you're so stuck in what you're doing that you're losing what you can get and what you can, how you can move forward. And it's this moving on piece that you just spoke on that's so powerful. Yes. And maybe that's kind of the mantra that comes from this is like accepting the challenges as they come, but fixing them as you can exactly, and then moving on. And so maybe that's the message in this. It's not the perfection and I've got to get it just right. It's I can fix this to where it needs to be and then I'm going to move on because there's other things there's other beautiful things out there for me. Yes. It's progress, not perfection. Progress, not perfection. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Every single day, anything happens, you have to just remember progress, not perfection. Because as a as a small business, you cannot be fixated on like really small things because it'll mentally Betray affect you, you, <laughs> you know, mentally, emotionally. Mm-hmm. And also as a business, it will it'll stunt your growth because so much of being in business is to make quick decisions. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying make hasty decisions. You have to give thought, but just being quick, you know, overall. So I always say, and I personally um, do get stuck on a lot of things. Okay. Like, you know, oh my God, what is this paint color going to be on the wall? What is this paint color going to be? And I was like, you know, I just have to go with the blush because <laughs> that's my instinct. Mm-hmm. And, and then everything will fall otherwise. in place. Right. And there's also um, a certain spontaneity that comes in a business and in design when you focus more on progress and not perfection. Absolutely. The Q is brought to you by Folio. Located in the iconic Meadows building in Dallas, Texas, Folio is a boutique rep agency which seeks to connect interior designers with creative resources. We would love to connect with you in real life. Please visit our website to set up an appointment, folioco.com, and follow us on Instagram at folioco. So we were talking though about vision, and so you have to have a vision in order to, in, what was your vision for Kufri? I mean, like everyone has kind of a mission when they start a business. Mm-hmm. What was your, and I've read some of the blog posts that have been written about you and this desire to bring this wabi-sabi, beautiful, organic, right. not perfect textiles to the industry that there's yeah. really not a lot of that out there. Right. So that in it, that's your vision? Yeah, that is my vision. I really, um, handloom weaving is slowly disappearing because all the weavers are aging out. Yeah. So, um, you know, every time I go back to India, the units tell me, oh, we have fewer weavers. It's not going to really disappear in our okay. lifetime, but okay. um, it's going to get harder to, you know, harder to have access to uh, because the number of weavers just won't be there. So I really wanted to do something to champion it because I love, I love the craft so much. Um, I mean, you literally see the cloth being made in front of your eyes. You know, it's not like printing where there's a base cloth and you print on it. This is like the warp and the weft coming together and you see it made. And, you know, some people might be like, so what's the big deal? But for me, it really resonated because it it just feels so special. Absolutely. So I just wanted to bring that. And, you know, like I said, my my style is 
it's, I don't dwell on perfectionism in my design aesthetic. So I wanted to bring this sense of wabi-sabi beauty in imperfection, um, just natural fibers. You know, you see the slubs, you see little motive irregularities, but that's just part of it because usually when something is being made by hand for so many hours, there will be imperfections. People think, oh, something's being made by hand, it's going to be absolutely perfect. Actually, there almost always will be imperfections. That's the beauty of it being made by hand. And if you want something perfect, you should probably go for a machine-woven fabric. And then it'll be perfect. But so, we don't have as much exposure to that in the U.S. No. And our exposure is a lot of mass production yes. and a lot of synthetic and a lot of um, product that doesn't, doesn't have that language. Right. And so how do you educate, you know, our design generation, you know, on this style? Yeah. Um, it's definitely changing now, but in the beginning, so six years ago, I have always spent, um, I've always put a big emphasis on educating the designers so I did a lot of small videos and um, you know anytime I would get a chance to speak on it like I've done a few speaking engagements um, I'll send samples out so it's just whatever I can do to educate um, I have I feel I have done and I continue to do but also the aesthetic you know there are designers who fell in love with this the moment they saw it because they get it. Mm -hmm. It's how we live today, you know, we don't, we don't want things to be absolutely perfect um, and tailored. So there are designers who started to champion the line yeah. and through them I have, you know, been able to get ambassadors. some images. Exactly, <laughs> ambassadors. Yeah, ambassadors. Um, and the, it's funny, they're usually on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's just a more laid back lifestyle. Yeah. Um, and they're embracing it now. It's funny how now, you know, it's so much more of a movement. Absolutely. Because it fits our life than what it was six years ago. Coming from a commercial background, I hear all the time, well, how many double rubs is it? And is it Krypton? And can I pour red wine on it? And you know, <laughs> yeah. they want it to be able to like, get a fire extinguisher out and hose it down. Yes. And so how do we, these textiles are washable. Yes. They are. And they, they actually look more beautiful after they've been washed. Because yes. you showed me some pieces. It's incredible. The hand is softer. I mean, it's right. they wash it incredibly well. Yes. So the ones that have indigo in it, okay. I would probably dry clean. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> um, but, you know, when I wash, so I use my, all my linens are made out of our textiles. I have them upholstered on our sofa. And I use them in the kitchen all the time. Um, I throw them in the wash because... Mm -hmm. I don't care if there's a little bit of bleeding. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it gets washed away. It's not going to ruin something because I don't put indigos in the wash. But if you put colors with colors, absolutely. And then these textiles get softer mm -hmm. and the weave actually sometimes gets tighter. Mm -hmm. So it gets more usable and friendly. They wear in. They wear in. Not out. Exactly. You got to break <laughs> them in, you yeah. know, or wash them in. Yeah. Um, and you just enjoy them so much more uh, once you start living with them. With the um, our block printed collection is actually forty thousand double rubs. We got it tested and it got rated for a little over forty thousand double rubs. Oh, that's good. And we're getting a lot of hospitality inquiries, um, 
just on our natural fiber fabrics, on the handwovens, because the boutique hotels want to feel more residential. Mm -hmm. So they want to feel more intimate and they want to bring those, you know, that feeling of natural, livable into their hotels. Um, and you can treat our fabrics if you really want to give it protection. Send it to SPI Finishing. That's who a lot of people send it to. And you can get them a stain treated, fire treated, whatever you want. But it will still never be a Krypton fabric. No. So that's an important thing to distinguish. No crispy Kufri fabrics. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no crispy fabrics. Um, even if you treat our fabrics for outdoor it won't be like an outdoor acrylic fabric, but you will still get protection. Got it. Couple of um, couple more questions. Yeah. This is one I was really wanting to ask you, yeah. and this is on that technical side of creativity, especially you coming from a graphic design background, and you know you're you're doing your creativity on a computer. So I personally find this intersection very intriguing. This balance of practical and innate creative knowledge, and you seem to have that. How do you integrate it into Kufri and like where in your business, besides the business side, like where on the creative side are you technical and creative and how do you integrate those mm. two? Technical. When you say technical, are you referring to more the the math and science of it? The Okay. Mm -hmm. So like the running of the day-to-day -day operations versus being creative? I think so. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think I have somewhat of a balance mm -hmm. because um, I'm interested I'm interested in the other aspects as well. Yeah, you do love business. I I've do noticed love that business. about and you have yeah you have shift and we need to talk about that. Yes. I do love business. I mean I'm not gonna go become an accountant no. <laughs> and do all my books, but I like to know how much profit we've made, how much we've saved, sure. how much we've spent, you know? Um so I think that automatically helps me shift left brain, right brain. Yeah, because you have to know um, in terms of like how you're going to value a textile, a cost per yard to cover sampling and shipping of samples and all of the different things, yes. paying the rent, whatever. So you've yes. had to learn how to, right. to monetize. But, you know, I have to admit that I am not, I am not that formal. Okay. You know, I've never had a business plan. Okay. Um, I don't have any partners or investors, and I don't really want or need any. But I've yeah, never... I don't imagine that. Yeah, no. they'd probably get tired. Very of independent. Be like, no, she just needs to be on her own. <laughs> um, so I'm not very formal, like, okay, I have to create this budget, mm -hmm. and I have to stick to it. And this is the cost. And, you know, like, I know the cost analysis of, like, the products and things like that, and how much we're getting and how much is going. But I'm just not very super formal in all my financial processes or even, you know, a lot of other operations. I have certain systems and they are good for me. Now, when we like completely triple or quadruple the size of the business, you know, it might be different then. But right now, I like it being manageable I like to have control. And be hands-on with everything. And be hands-on. And you would encourage all, you know, most business owners to just be as hands-on as they can be, I'm guessing. I think it depends on your temperament mm -hmm. and your interests. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're like, I don't want anything to do with the finance, you should definitely know the basics. Yeah. You should know the basics. Yeah. Like, 
I don't understand these business owners who like 10 years after they're like, oh my God, we haven't made any money. Uh-huh. You know, I'm like, how's that how possible? did you know that? Yeah. Like, how did you not know that? Uh-huh. Um, so I think everyone should take an interest because part of being in business is also doing things that you don't really want to do. Mm-hmm. You have to like make yourself do it For and sure. try to get interested in it. So before we're going to end with something really fun. Kind of, I think it's fun, but, but, um, and I, a couple quick things though. Like I want to make sure I, before we finish intellectual property, any tips on that for especially young people, maybe getting into a creative business where their yes. creative work is their business. Do you have any quick tips on intellectual property? Um, so we don't actually trademark, okay. you know, any of our copyright, any of our designs, okay. which by the way, have been ripped off. Okay. I have seen so many of our designs oh. being ripped off. Yeah. And, um, so I would say if you're doing something like print design, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, probably that's a good idea. But I would I would wait till you garner some, till you find out what's really a hot design. Okay. You know, that would be, because it can get expensive. Okay. So I would wait till you're a year or so you have gauged what your audience likes. Okay. Um, and what's really selling well. And then I would probably immediately copyright copyright it. it but it doesn't feel like you have this like consuming headspace about it because I do talk to some people who really get consumed with that and you kind of just let that go You're yeah like, I mean I've made this it's beautiful and it's in the world now kind exactly of if someone wants to rip it off you know cool. it's never going to be the same yeah because the cotton's not going to be the same no. it's not going to be handloom woven I've seen things that are printed that look exactly like a rex fabric like the scale the colors exactly I have seen um, our Kyra design printed, and it's almost like someone took a photocopy of our fabric, <laughs> vectorized it. Um, I've seen our Cusco stripe actually by a big company in their catalog that just oh, nice. got to my home. I'm nice. like, oh, that's our Cusco stripe fabric. But it's... Compliment. It, it doesn't look uh, as good. And it's right, the scale and everything, and they've tried to create a textured stripe but it's not going to be the same. So I just don't worry about those things. So circling back to this 18-year-old girl. Yes. Okay, so um, what would you say to her now? I think I would probably say try not to party too much. (laughs) (laughs) I wasted my early 20s partying way too much. (laughs) And I would probably say... Try to seek out what you really are interested in and find friends that are interested in the same things. At that time, I was interested in partying, so I <laughs> sought out friends who were interested in partying. Yeah. But I wish I would have, you know, done something a little more productive. That's fair. Along with the partying. That's fair. But maybe you needed it, right? You needed that yeah, release. And it was part the, of your story. Leaving the Middle East, it was just like, all right. <laughs> graduated. What are we going to do now? What are now? we going to do now? And then, um, and what's the Millie Suleiman and the Kufri legacy? I think definitely bringing textiles and bringing a philosophy yeah. of imperfection mm-hmm. in your everyday life. Yeah. but still creating beauty in it and recognizing the weavers and trying to champion that craft that's kind of dying. I think that's going to be the legacy. We work with aging weavers. We also work with a lot of women weavers um, who are usually divorced or widowed. 
So um, I think amazing trickle effect of that your business is having on on so many right. lives. It really creates a lot of impact. And you know, I don't have a gazillion employees. Mm-hmm. Um, but partners though, I have I have partners exactly, and the. Sometimes I think about, I'm like, oh, I don't have this huge business with all these, like, you know, people under me. But I'm like, wait, there's all this impact that's happening. Absolutely. Uh, and I'm employing all these people on a full-time basis. They're just not here. Yes. You know. Um, but I think the legacy is beautiful textiles that feel natural and feel good. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot to the story. I mean, there's there's something really to be said about the journey that you've taken and the risks that you've taken, the fear that you've overcome, and the honesty in which you do it, and the vulnerability that yeah. you do it in is a, is very inspiring. And I personally am inspired by the story of of letting go of imperfection. That's a theme of my life. You know, I'm wanting to do things right, and beyond doing them right, I want to do them well. And have right. fun doing it. And that's probably what I see you doing that's so aspirational. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a, the, the legacy doesn't have to be profound. It just has to be meaningful to yourself and the people that yeah. you're working with. And, you know, my goal is like, I don't know if the business still exists five years from now. Um, I, five years from now, I want every single interior designer when they go to buy a woven fabric, that Kufri is like the first, yes, first brand they think of. Yes, like we want a woven fabric. I want hand woven to be in their vocabulary. Absolutely, and that's the first line they think of. You know? I, I think that's important, and that's one of the most important messages in this podcast is having that vocabulary and design that hand woven right. piece of it because we we don't. Yeah, we don't slow textiles. That's perfect. Slow textiles. textiles. Yeah. Really, like, when I'm at home, I feel my textiles really help me just slow down and enjoy Mm -hmm. my space and being with them. Yeah, and the ones that maybe you can just, yeah, clean and are perfect. Yeah, that's not how we live. That's not who we are. Right. The stains represent something. Right. It's a very personal thing, though. Like, you know, if you have, like, three children and... I personally have never been to a party where anyone has dropped wine. So I'm like, <laughs> what is this fear? It's a fake fear. Like, it's a fake fear. It's a fake fear. How many people have you seen just ruthlessly dropping wine <laughs> all over the place? I have literally never seen anyone do that. Maybe in your early 20s, really. But <laughs> I don't, you know, a couple of beer bottles here and okay, there. Okay, but I'm fair. like, who are these adults who are throwing wine everywhere? I so know. I don't know. You Crazy don't, people. Yeah, like. We need to just all chill out. <laughs> just chill out. Yeah, we need drink to all chill wine. out and have some fun. And <laughs> drink some red wine on that hand-woven textile. <laughs> so to end, just some fun, rapid-fire questions. First thing that comes to okay. your mind. So, And this one's easy because it's last place you traveled. India. Perfect. When was it? January. Okay. India and Oman. Okay. January. Trip, work trip. Meeting with? Work family. Yeah, work family. Got it. Okay. Favorite dish to cook? They cook, so I always like to ask this question. That I cook? Yeah, do you cook? I do cook. 
Oh, favorite dish. You know, I've got to say my um, meatballs and um, pasta is really, really good. Will you share the recipe? I will. Folio cooks. You know, we put our recipe cards out there. Oh, my so. God. Yes, I will absolutely share the recipe with okay, you. Emily. We're going to hold her to it. Uh-huh. So... Okay, Millie. there's a secret Millie's ingredient. Meatballs. Yeah, That's yeah, so Millie's scary. meatballs. That sounds dirty, you guys. But okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Okay, we got it. So, I know you're you're scared of you know having an opinion. This one's gonna be hard for you, but um, <laughs> uh, design trend that must go. Oh, oh my God! I would say let's get rid of all that Krypton fabric. <laughs> That's just me. And also like acrylic. Like acrylic. Marriott just called. <laughs> yeah. Acrylic coffee tables and like you know, I guess a little bit of acrylic is nice, like a tray or like sure. you know, whatever. But I'm like, really? Acrylic coffee tables? And I'm just like, get rid of it. You like that because you have that beautiful wood table in the entryway that you designed. All about wood and metal. Oh my goodness, everyone listening, you have to check out this wooden table. It is the most, as Emily would say, sick thing. It's sick. It's yeah. sick. Hashtag it's, it's sick. It's a dope table. It's a dope table, man. You guys have to check it out. It's on our website, actually. Okay, it's on the website, mm-hmm. which is... Under shop, there should be an etc. category or something like that. Okay. It's... And it's it's kufritextiles.com or just kufri.com? It's you can go through kufrilife.com or kufrilifefabrics.com. Okay, so we'll have that up on our website, K-U-F-R-I-L-I-F-E.com. Yes. Check out it, Millie has an about page there. And if you if you Google Millie, there's a lot of cool stories about Millie and her story that you guys can check out too. But thank you so much for coming and thank being you. our first person to interview. This is so great, and I look forward to seeing where the podcast goes and all the other people and hearing their conversations thank you thanks for listening y'all let's keep the conversation going if you have a story you would like for us to illuminate please email hello at folioco.com that's hello at p-h-o-l-i-o-c-o.com and be sure to subscribe to hear future episodes